This summer, dive into the many cools of San Antonio. Because as soon as the temperature rises, so do the many cool things to do. Come keep cool with amazing pools and the hottest nights at the coolest spots in Texas. Go to visitsanantonio.com slash summer. This is Cruise Radio. I cruise a lot and I always sail with travel insurance. You should too. Get a free quote today at tripinsurance.com. Here we go. Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Chris just returned from the very first sailing of Icon of the Seas. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we had Scott on. Scott was on a preview sailing and kind of gave us a a high-level overview of the ship. But Chris was actually on for the seven-night cruise. It was an Eastern Caribbean voyage out of Port Miami, and Chris joins us on the line. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Doug. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to talk to you about this ship to kind of get your perspective for being on it seven days and comparing it to Scott a couple of weeks ago. Before we get to the ship itself, you live out on the West Coast over in the uh, California area. So give us a pre-cruise thoughts. Like what made you want to take this seven-nighter on Icon? Was it like most people would think because it's the biggest ship in the world? Yeah, I mean, I, I had, I've had a bunch of friends who have gone on maiden voyages before on other Royal Caribbean ships and, and other cruise lines. And they, they have, they sold me on just the fun that it is to be on a brand new ship, the sort of just vibe and buzz, something that no one else has really ever gotten to experience. And so I was like, you know what, why not do a maiden voyage, not only on a brand new ship, but literally the world's largest cruise ship ever built and something completely and totally different for Royal Caribbean, you know, a completely brand new class of ship. And I went with a bunch of friends, which makes obviously any cruise that much more fun. Did you like book this the very first day it went on sale or did you kind of kick around saying, do I want to book it? Do I not want to book it? How did that play out? We were stalking the website literally the night before Royal Caribbean was supposed to release these bookings back in October of 2022. Literally 10 o'clock, I think it was on a Sunday or Monday night, I happened to see at 10 p.m. All of a sudden bookings opened and I started texting my friends feverishly like, okay, what room do we want? Where do we want to go? Like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to break it all up? So literally within 10 or 15 minutes of it showing up on the website, we had it booked. And I will say I'm very glad we booked it when we did because prices ever since then have continued to rise just because of the demand and the popularity of this cruise ship. They've done an incredible job marketing it and just really building the anticipation for it. So very happy. Although I've never booked a vacation that far in advance, it was definitely well worth the wait. So you make your way from California to South Florida. Did you do any pre-cruise time before you sailed? Yeah, we flew out a couple of days in advance, stayed in Miami Beach for a couple of nights. We went down to the Smith and Wolinskis, you know, right there on the channel where all the cruise ships depart from Miami on Friday night. Got to watch five or six other ships depart and sort of build the anticipation you could see Icon just sitting there at the port in the distance. And so it was a a fun way to sort of start what was going to be a great cruise. So it's time to board Icon of the Seas. You make your way down to Terminal A, Royal Caribbean's terminal in Port Miami. So talk to us about the embarkation. Like how streamlined was it and how long did it take you to get from the curb onto the ship? Yeah, so this is my first time sailing on Royal Caribbean out of Miami. I've got to say they have that, that Terminal A Everything is so seamless and so easy. Obviously, we were pretty lucky. The ship arrived in port on Friday and stayed overnight. So when we got there Saturday morning, you know, everything was ready to go. We weren't having to wait for people to get off the ship. We showed up a little bit ahead of our boarding time and there were no lines. They let us right in 
So literally from the curb to stepping on the ship, I, I literally, I don't think it was more than five minutes from dropping our bags off and, and we were on Icon and ready to go. That's awesome. So you make your way on board the ship. What were your first impressions? Yeah, you walk to, you know, right on to deck five, the Royal Promenade and directly in front of you is the Pearl. It's this icon of the ship inside that that Royal Promenade area. I mean, you you really have this sort of kind of surreal feeling. I mean, especially for those of us who have been kind of watching the design and build of the ship and Royal Caribbean's re- you know, released so many YouTube videos about different neighborhoods and areas on the ship of, uh, as they built it. They they really built up that anticipation for it. It was a surreal feeling to stand there on the ship and have seen this pearl thing that's been, you know, described to us and and seen it in pictures and whatnot, but actually be able to physically touch, you know, the wall and actually walk up in the staircase that goes through it. It was it was really, really awe-inspiring. And just, I mean, it, it there was just this pure joy of being on this ship and actually having made it, you know, 15 months, you know, before having booked this to finally had made it to our embarkation day. It, it really was just a just a palpable excitement. Yeah, I hope other cruise lines learn from what Royal Caribbean did with this, like the slow drip, debuting all these videos in advance because and they're kind of documenting the process because this is like a textbook marketing case here on how to yeah. do it right. You know? Yep. Yep. Yeah, for sure. All right. So any other first impressions? Yeah, I've been on one other royal ship, the Navigator of the Seas, which obviously their, you know, royal promenade is enclosed. There's no windows mm-hmm. to the outside. So I, you know, I had heard about how, you know, Royal was really trying to bring the outside in, try to create as much natural light in that Royal Promenade area. You know, it's a it's a multi-story area where they have a lot of restaurants, a lot of bars. There's a lot of entertainment, a lot of circulation happens there. There's nighttime shows that happen. And it really was a great place to hang out during the day because you had these two or three story tall windows on either side of the Royal Promenade. That you could sit out and just look at the ocean as you were sailing. There were, you know, exterior parts as well, right, right outside of those where you could sit on a couch and enjoy a beverage and just kind of look off into the distance. It, it really made it an inviting sort of like, you know, it, it wasn't like this dark mall or anything that, you know, was enclosed. Mm-hmm. It really got that connection to the ocean, which I, I think that that's what they were really going for in this particular design. When you're boarding a ship there, do you have like a lot of rubber deckers looking like, oh my gosh, this ship is amazing where it kind of clogs and slows down? Or is this the flow move pretty well on embarkation as you're walking onto the ship? Yeah, the, the flow moved really, really well. You know, you come, you know, obviously through the through the terminal, you're onto the ship. I mean, there's multiple disbursement points that are going to happen right when you get on the ship. You can keep walking straight forward, go up into the Pearl. You're up on deck six. You can grab a drink or just kind of sit out and, and stare off into the, 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 you know, Miami skyline from there. They've got escalators that go down to the casino area directly off to your right when you board. Uh, and then, you know, multiple different staircases. And this is just within kind of the Royal Promenade area that you can get to other places on that two deck area. I mean, the, the circulation on this cruise ship, the way that they designed it for people to be able to get between those main kind of kind of lower deck areas between deck four and deck eight. I mean, absolutely genius design. I mean, it's not like there's just one staircase or one elevator banker, uh, you know, at the far ends of the ship. I mean, you literally could navigate this area. You could literally enter on deck five, go up to the Pearl, grab a drink, 
And then they've got another staircase that takes you directly up to Central Park. So you don't have to leave that center area of the ship and go down to an elevator or another staircase to actually make it all the way up to Central Park from the Royal Promenade, which was just an ingenious design. Yeah, I like how they have an escalator going down to the casino. They're like, we're going to make sure you get to the casino. (laughs) Well, let's talk about your stateroom you had booked on this seven-night cruise. So what kind of stateroom did you have and what were your thoughts throughout the week? Yeah, so I I sailed with two of my friends, Peter and Kitra. They have a YouTube channel called Ordinary Adventure. So we wanted a little bit of extra space. Uh, There's three adults. So we were very lucky. We were able to book a family infinite ocean view balcony. This is this is the room, if you've seen the pictures or or the renderings, this is the rooms with the two bunk beds at the far end. When you walk into the room, they've got a split bathroom design and then pretty much your standard balcony room with a desk, sofa bed, a normal bed, and then their infinite balcony concept, which is that interior kind of balcony space where there's a floor to ceiling window and the window actually comes down about halfway. So you can sort of bring the outside in. I think for three of us, you know, and, and we, there was a, a family of five staying in the room next to us. I think great. I mean, an absolute great design. What I really loved about the bunk bed area was both beds can sleep adults, although they, you know, if you're a bit more than kind of five foot 10 or five foot 11, you may have a difficult time sleeping, but I'm just over five eight and, and, and fit just perfectly in the bunk beds. Each one comes with, you know, its own USB ports to, to plug into plus a TV. And there's a full kind of ceiling to floor curtain that pulls closed. So the kids want to be watching TV or playing video games till three in the morning and the parents are sleeping. Very, very good separation. I think the 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 only kind of knock that I would give on the cabin design itself, I mean, very good storage, some kind of interesting choices. Instead of putting drawers in, they have kind of baskets that you pull out to put stuff in. The the main thing that I found kind of difficult was they have a split bathroom concept, which is, you know, in theory, really good. You've got a toilet and a sink in one room and then a, a sink and the shower in the second room. The issue is the, the room with the shower and the sink, you could barely turn around to dry off once you got out of the shower. We We all ended up either going into the room with the toilet or just going into the back area by the bunk beds and and sort of drying off to be able to have have room to kind of reach down and 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 actually dry yourself off. I think that's the only big knock on the room is the space in the bathroom is really tight. I almost would rather have them just had a large single bathroom to be able to have more circulation space in the bathroom. I'm curious about your infinite veranda you had there because it, like you said it kind of rolls down halfway or slides down whatever you want to say. Did you try to open it in the Caribbean at all where it maybe like fogged up your cabin or like caused any like humidity issues inside of your cabin? Yeah, I, I think it's exactly like what people have talked about. If you are at sea and you're moving and it's a nice day, we we did the Eastern Caribbean, you know, sailing down to St. Kitts and St. Thomas. Sea days were great. You had it down. The breeze was coming in. It, it felt great. The air conditioning does turn off. So that yeah. caused a decent amount of humidity. Although when we were parked in port, we did lower the window. I think it was in in St. Kitts. We lowered the window and it very quickly got hot and humid in there. Then when we brought the window back up, like you said, there was a bunch of humidity and it kind of fogged up the the window. So not the best thing to use when you're in port. Although I think if, if you're in port and you're on your exterior balcony, 
it's going to be hot and humid out there anyway. So, you know, what it's, you know, I'm sure in Alaska, that would be an absolute, you know, uh, amazing feature to have. But when you're in the Caribbean, not not the best when you're in board. Let's talk about the dining options on board Icon of the Season. We'll start like we always do at the buffet area, the Windjammer. How was the selection there? How was the passenger flow? Because when Scott was on it a couple of weeks ago, obviously it wasn't at full capacity. So only half of the Windjammer was open. So what was your experience up there as far as the food and the flow for the passengers? Yeah, so so we were told there were uh, we were about 80% full. So somewhere around 56, 5,700 people on the ship out of you know, just over, I think, 75 or 7,600 is like actual full capacity. The Windjammer's great. You know, you've got the two sides like you described. Both of them were open. We ate there both on embarkation day lunch and also for breakfast, other breakfast, lunch and, and dinners. Tons of stations. I mean, basically the the great variety that you're going to find in most Oasis class Windjammers, you're going to find there really good gluten-free options, a totally separate kind of island with, with all of that. You know, drink stations, bar service, tons of seating. I think it's their largest wind jammer at sea, obviously, for the largest cruise ship. Circulation, not a problem. I mean, you know what embarkation day lunch can be like. They were serving, you know, lobster and filet and and a lot of really special kind of things that I think a lot of people wanted to grab on that first day and did not have a problem grabbing food pretty quickly and finding a place to sit. Outside of the Windjammer, as far as like not the main dining room, not specialty dining, but like grab and go type places, hot dogs, pizza. Talk to us about any of that you might have done. Yeah. So we tried, you know, with my friends being having a YouTube channel, we certainly tried just about every single dining location on this ship. So you've got the kind of normal kind of park uh, cafe, which is in Central Park. They replaced the Cafe Promenade uh, with Pearl Cafe. These are places where you can go grab a sandwich, salad, grab-and-go type of items, bakery stuff in the morning. I really liked the Pearl Cafe in the morning because they had sort of those Starbucks-style sandwiches, the breakfast sandwiches that you could grab really quick when you're on the go if you wanted to get into port. You know, you've got places like Sorrento's Pizza on the Royal Promenade. You've got El Loco Fresh up on... The pool deck, certainly a staple of Royal Caribbean ships. One of the new things that they had up on the pool deck was the Aquadome Market. So these are food stalls. They had crepes. They had kind of a, a place called Ginger, which is which is like a Panda Express. They had a sandwiches and salad place. They had a mac and cheese bowl place. And then they had a feta, which is kind of like a make-your-own-Mediterranean wraps and bowls. All included. Super easy to just walk in there, go to the different stalls. They're smaller portions, which is meant so that you can kind of create a meal out of uh, several different things, but great access up in the front of the ship, up by their new Aquadome area. And like a great alternative if you're on the pool deck and you don't want to either go over to the Windjammer or go have El Loco Fresh, you could, you've got quite a variety of food there, which was great to eat. And then if you're down in the kind of new family area, which is called Surfside, it's kind of on decks, kind of six, seven at the back of the ship. They have an all-day buffet there that's included. It's very much geared towards kids. They've got pizza and hamburgers and chicken fingers and hot dogs, but it is an all-day buffet and it's located down there. So you're not having to go up to deck 15 to the Windjammer or elsewhere on the ship. You've got young kids and they're playing in the pool or on the water slide or play structure down there. You can easily grab food for them and not have to leave that area, which I thought was a great, great design for that. You can, you can yeah. literally eat there for lunch and dinner. It's open till, gosh, 10 or 11 at night. So it was a great place to just go grab a snack during the middle of the day as well. Ah, very cool. So the main dining room, talk to us about that experience. 
Yeah, so we we had lunch in there and we had dinner in there. Mostly just you know only one time each, mostly because there are so many fooded food you know dining options on Icon that we wanted to pretty much try everything. Great service, great food. I will say we went on Italian night. You know, Royal Caribbean has switched over to instead of having sort of classics every night, they have a rotating menu which has a different theme every night from Mexican night to Caribbean to Italian. We went on Italian night. I will say I had the chicken parm in the Royal or in main dining room. The night before we had gone to Giovanni's, which is a, you know, an upcharge restaurant, one of their specialty restaurants. The chicken parm in the main dining room, way better than what, you know, what we had at Giovanni's. And in fact, all three of us uh, at Giovanni's, we were not very impressed with that. Great service, great food in the main dining room, you know, which, which I had more time, a whole other week to go explore more of the menus that they offer. But you know, certainly very easy to get in, quick service, quick food. It didn't take that long um, and just a really enjoyable experience. Well, let's unpack some of the specialty restaurants you you dined at here. So just like talk to us about one of the restaurants, give us some highlights and you can move to the next one if you want. Yeah. So there's a couple kind of smaller venues. There's one called Base Camp, which is up on the pool deck on Thrill Island. They have a couple free options, like you can get a hot dog or some pretzel bites, but they also have some upcharge items like a shrimp bao bun or a hamburger. It's a little pricey when you're paying, you know, seven to ten dollars for these items. You're up on the pool deck. It's like why I, you would think this would be included. Wasn't the the best food either, so I could easily see them maybe trying to revamp that particular menu. Down in Surfside, they have an all day brunch restaurant called Pier Seven, which we had brunch there uh, on our second sea day. Great food, you know, from kind of hamburgers and sandwiches to kind of eggs Benedict and whatnot. They've actually, you know, even I think they're on their, what, third or fourth sailing now. They've actually changed the menu a little bit since we were there. But I thought that brunch was great and very, very affordable. For kind of lunch one day, we went to Azumi in the park, which is essentially a walk-up counter to their Azumi restaurant. Uh, this, This Azumi had both the hibachi tables as well as the standard restaurant tables. But for lunch and dinner, you can walk up and just go up to the window and order kind of a sushi bento box, you know, different sushi and sort of accompanying sides uh, with that. And then they also have bubble waffle ice cream cones that you can get there as well. So the portions weren't super large, but to get fresh sushi in just a couple of minutes and from a, a grab and go window and be able to sit in Central Park and have that, that was a great sort of great alternative for for something to do at lunch. We went to the trellis bar in Central Park one evening for dinner and drinks. And what's great about this trellis bar is they they now offer kind of, I would say like medium-sized plates. So you can kind of kind of cobble a couple things together and create a dinner out of it. We had like mac and cheese poppers and some crispy truffle fries. We had crab cakes and a burger and, and, a, and a bunch of a split, all of that with some of their drinks and just a, a really good vibe for kind of a casual dinner that you know, you don't have to get dressed up for. You're not, you're not, you're not in this giant restaurant. You're just enjoying the atmosphere at night in Central Park. Probably our favorite, and then we did do Giovanni's one night, one of their you know, specialty restaurants, like I said, wasn't the best food. I heard from friends that did Chops, loved that. They have a new Icon exclusive menu, which has different cuts of steak like Wagyu and Tomahawk that you can add in addition to kind of the included options. But I think by far and above our favorite dining experience of the trip was we went to the Empire Supper Club. Uh, you've probably heard about it or maybe seen it. This is the kind of $200 a person plus tax and tip on top of that. 
kind of roughly three hour dining experience. Uh, it's kind of themed to a New York jazz club seats just under 40 people. So it's a very intimate dining experience. It is a, I, I would say an eight plus course dining menu that has very approachable food offerings. It's not like a chef table, which, you know, some of the food offerings can be a little bit out there for, for most palates. This definitely is stuff that people, you know, you know, having oysters, having ravioli, having some, you know, a Caesar salad. This is definitely stuff that's very approachable for, you know, all ages and dining palates. And for that $200, not only do you, did you get like an eight plus course, you know, dining, you know, food that came with that, every course came with its own signature cocktail. And so the value that you're getting, you know, and then there's entertainment going on. There's a live, you know, singer, piano player and bass player. I mean, just the, the service was impeccable you know, hands down, well worth the $200 that we spent. I I was like, I want to go back again. You know, if I ever get back on Icon, I would definitely go back and do this again. Everyone dresses up. It's kind of formal attires requested. So it's it's really, it was a really, really fun night out in, in a really, really cool new dining concept. And I, I think they have a, a winner on their hands with this one. Is it a set menu? It mostly is a set menu. If you don't eat mm -hmm. seafood, they can sub in things. So I know like my, my friends that I went with, one of them doesn't eat seafood. Instead of lobster, I think they brought out some risotto. For the main offering, there are three offerings. You can get a Wagyu steak. You can get rabbit or you can get fish. I believe it was sea bass. And for two of those, for the sea bass, they have a different cocktail than for the steak and the rabbit. But for the most part, you're going to, I think the dessert also, you could choose from cheesecake or a chocolate dessert. So, but for the most part, they do offer some concessions if you have some dietary issues or things that you just don't want to eat. Did y'all have any kind of like food or drink package or I guess dining package going into this? So we did not do any of the dining packages. We we simply bought up the, you know, for the Empire Supper Club and then we paid for the Giovanni's. I think just because of the there's so many included offerings on this ship, we really wanted to try especially all of the new places. I think most of their specialty restaurants and they really only have, you know, Azumi, Hooked, Chops and Giovanni's. They they exist on other ships and we've tried those before. So we weren't super interested in that. On the drink package, yes. My friends Peter and Kitra both got the, I guess, the alcohol drink package. I got the soda package. So we we were able to try pretty much every drink. We we tried to go to, I think there's 20 plus bars across this ship. We tried to go to at least each bar once to try a drink and it made it, made it a lot more fun, I will say. So Royal doesn't make everyone get the drink package in their room? They don't. It was interesting when 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 I I called them up and I said, "Hey, I, I don't really want to buy the 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 drink package. Is it okay if my two friends do it? And can I buy the soda package?" They allowed me to do that. So, little oh, prim okay. tip, you know, you, you, you they're they're definitely a little bit flexible on that if you if you you know ask nicely. And how was the seating as far as? I mean, you mentioned you weren't at full capacity, but how was it as far as crowds and congestion for you? Yeah, th this is one great thing about the ship. They have found a way to create all these sort of distinct, intimate neighborhoods all over the ship and really spread them out so that if you show up at 9 a.m. or 2 p.m. and you're looking for a place in the sun or in the shade, there was plenty of available seats and different seating options all throughout the different areas of the ship. I, I think one thing that really helped with it was putting the family neighborhood down on deck seven. So you're taking a lot of those families that might have been on the main pool deck and kind of shifting them down towards the back of the ship. 
so that up on top of the ship, you've got, you know, kind of the, the thrill water park with the six water slides, plenty of seating all around that area where they also have the flow rider. And then they chose to do the very back of the ship. They, they transformed that into the adults only area called the hideaway, which has, you know, two, two hot tubs, a giant infinity edge pool, its own bar back there. You, you, you know, we kind of pool hopped all, all, all throughout the different sea days and would go from the, swim and tonic swim up bar to the hideaway into the main pool area never had an issue finding chairs to put our stuff down on and relax on and then jump in the pools it was i mean they they have done a great great job designing this for now put another couple thousand people it could potentially be a little bit of an issue if you're trying to go out in the middle of the day and find five or six chairs right next to each other but i think at the capacity that they're running right now it's like not not a problem at all nice and how about the entertainment? I mean, this one has all kinds of entertainment from top to bottom here. So talk to us about maybe some of the shows you went to or things you got to experience throughout the week. Yeah, so they have, you know, in addition to kind of places like they've got a dueling piano place, they've got a karaoke bar, they've got a jazz and blues jar, they've got boleros, they have a, a comedy club. In addition to kind of those venues, which are mostly located on the Royal Promenade, they have kind of four main venues that they do entertainment. First is Aquadome, uh, where they have their kind of high-tech, high-action, you know, aerialists and acrobatics and high divers at the front of the ship in in the Aquadome area. They had a great show we watched called Aqua Action. You've, I mean, just amazing. They've got Kuka arms that are doing lighting and uh, projection effects all throughout the theater. You've got high divers jumping from 40 or 50 feet up in the air. You've got you know, slack liners that are jumping around. They do obviously uh, some some water ballet and some synchronized swimming. I mean, just an incredible show. They had built the pool literally 10 days before we saw that show. So they had, you know, they're just starting to tweak this and really roll it out. We, we, we'd heard from Nick Weir, who's the kind of head of entertainment for Royal Caribbean, that they were maybe about 70 to 80% done with that show, but they've got a lot more stuff that they'd like to add in over the coming months. So it'll be fun, hopefully, to to get back on there one day and be able to see what the full show looked like. And then they had a second show that they hadn't even practiced yet uh, that'll eventually appear there. Their second venue is called Absolute Zero. So that's a venue that's their ice skating arena, but they also can use it for like, you know, they can put a floor over it and do kind of different game shows in there. We did Crazy Quest in there. Uh, you can also do laser tag throughout the cruise ship during the day in there. But they have two ice skating shows, one called Starburst Elemental Beauty, the other one called Once Upon a Time, the King's Royal Ball. One's a little bit more geared towards kids. That's the the King's Royal Ball one. That's a kind of famous fairy tales and, and sort of a, a surprising twist in in that show. I mean, they, these are just, I mean, this is a, these are pretty much Olympic level ice skaters that are skating on a moving ship. It's sort of an oval kind of round shape, uh, which is a different design from most of their ice skating arenas, which tend to be you know, rectangular in shape. They not only projected in the theater on the back wall, but also on the ice itself. It was, I mean, the technology that they're using in these shows, I mean, they're literally taking everything out of the toolkit and throwing it at these shows to really create just such an immersive, just an incredible experience. The third venue that they use, which is interesting, is the Royal Promenade. I mean, it's a huge, long, three or 400 feet long, or actually probably even longer than that, Royal Promenade area. They do kind of a, a nighttime uh, one-hit wonders dance party in there one of the nights. And then during the day, they did a, they called it the Ships Ahoy Parade. So you've got a hundred cast from all over the ship that come and 
you know, they portray different scallywags and swashbucklers and sailors from all different types. And they've got these floats that essentially kind of move down the the Royal Promenade. 15, 20 minute shows, super fun for the kids and families. I was really, really, I mean, if you've been to Disney and you've seen a parade on Main Street or whatnot, I mean, you're, you're talking this level of quality production inside a cruise ship. The last venue, obviously, is the the Royal Theater, their main kind of stage theater, two, two deck high theater. They've got two shows in there. One of them was finished that we got to see. It was called The Wizard of Oz. This is probably the one of the best, if not the best, stage performances I've ever seen on a cruise ship. And I've been on a bunch of Disney cruises. This is the largest kind of onstage cast that Royals ever put. They've got a live 16-piece orchestra that is playing all the music. It's a longer show. It's an hour and 45 minutes, but it tells pretty much that full kind of story of The Wizard of Oz. The the I think one of the the most surprising, amazing things about this is the rigging equipment that they have in the theater. And when they have the Wicked Witch of the West fly in and the monkeys are flying around, I mean, they're not just on the stage flying around. They come out over the audience and they're flying around the audience. It was it was very impressive. I mean, when when the twister comes in at the beginning and takes Dorothy away to 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 the land of Oz, like to watch her come flying out of the house and flying over the audience. I mean, it it was breathtaking. It was it was I mean, they did an incredible job really, really bringing the audience into this story and and just just probably one of the best theater performances I've ever seen and easily what you would see on Broadway or the West End. I've only sat through one uh, cruise ship show, and that was Aladdin on Disney Fantasy a couple of yep. years ago. The, uh, the other ones, they don't interest me. I, I get so bored after like 10, 15 minutes or so. So I'm excited to see this Wizard of Oz one. With that much special effects and that much excitement, yeah, it's going to be a cool one, I think. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about the ports of call on this seven-night cruise. Give us the port of call, give us your highlight, and then just move to the next one. Yeah, so we had three sea days and three ports, two of the ports, St. Thomas and St. Kitts. You know, we really were there for the ship. The ship was the destination for us on this cruise. So in both St. Kitts and St. Thomas, we got off uh, right at the kind of port area. We walked around, bought a couple souvenirs, but that was pretty much it. I mean, we pretty much got off for maybe an hour, hour and a half, took some pictures of the ship, and then pretty much got right back on. We wanted to spend as much time on the ship just with everything there is to do and just enjoy that and knew that we could always come back to those different locations. So didn't do a lot activity-wise in those two ports. The third one that we stopped at was Royal Caribbean's private island, Coco Cay. I had never been to Perfect Day before. I had been on one other royal ship out of the West Coast, which obviously doesn't go to the Caribbean on those sailings. And so I was really, really excited to go here. We had friends who very generously got a so so Royal Caribbean created a new area of Coco Cay called Hideaway Beach and it just opened on our sailing we were the first ship to visit with paying guests this area this is it's an adults only area that has a giant pool with a DJ and they've got obviously a beach area they've got a bunch of different food offerings several bars in that area they also have an area called the hideout which is a kind of 10 cabanas connected together with an infinity edge pool that you can swim in, in between all the cabanas. We were I was very, very lucky because we had some friends who were very generous and actually reserved one of those hideout cabanas. And so we got to hang out in in those cabanas for the entire day that we were on Coco Cay. 
I mean, the service that they bring to those cabanas, you can have up to 10 people in, in it. They'll bring you all the food and all the drink that you want at the push of a button, just the, the nicest people. And you have your own kind of private area to hang out at. It's, you know, a heated pool, which was really, really nice at the beginning of February. Not not that it was super cold. We were there. It was, I think, in the, the mid-70s, so it felt really nice in the sun. But that pool being heated was really nice. I, I had talked with them. They said during the summer months, when it's really hot, they actually won't heat the pool. So it, it definitely feels better. But literally, I mean, I, I had kind of been dreaming about going to Perfect Day at Coco Cay for a long time. And this experience, I think, lived up and oh, probably exceeded what I thought uh, it was going to be. Obviously, probably not going to get to do that cabana every time that I go there. It was certainly quite expensive, well over $2,000 for the day. But when you think about it with everything that it includes, especially bringing up to 10 people in it, it, it could be a, a, a great option. And if you don't want to stay in one of the cabanas, I think going to Hideaway Beach uh, which is that adult only area. You know, I think there were several, you know, probably five, six hundred people that came over there. Those prices aren't too bad either. I've heard anywhere from nineteen ninety nine to just under maybe seventy or eighty bucks for the day to kind of uh, have a bit more exclusive experience. Yeah. So I know the food or rather I know the drink package works on the island. Yep. Does the Wi Fi package work on there? Are there like the Wi Fi works perfectly. Yeah. It yeah. it is pretty amazing the the star, the, the 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 you know high speed internet, the Starlink, I think is what they have there. And like just incredible. Like I mean, we were watching you know videos and streaming stuff, and never had an issue on the ship or in port. Very cool. So were you the only ship in port too? No, we had, we had Mariner of the Seas was there as well. They got they they okay. beat us. I think about an hour or two coming in that day, but. You know, especially even in the hideaway area, what's nice is they they did keep it restricted for a certain number of people. So it never felt kind of crowded or, or never looked crowded. People could find easily find a place on the beach or at the pool to be able to to grab a chair and just enjoy the day. Mariner is an old West Coast ship. I used to be out in L.A. for a while. Yeah, yeah certainly. Uh, so you make your way back to Port Miami. I'm um, actually, you know what, before we talk about Miami... Let's talk about the casino as far as the yeah. smoke situation in or around it, because if I don't ask the question, I'll get emails asking why they ask you. We went to the casino pretty much every day. I had a blast, won a decent amount of money. So we are very much looking forward to hopefully a, a free cruise offer or something like that in the future. So it is the largest casino at sea. It's interesting. They've divided the casino essentially down the middle. Half of it is smoking. Half of it is non-smoking. In the smoking area, and I think actually all throughout the casino, they have all these air vents that are blowing air on the floor. And so I think that really helped to reduce the kind of effect of, of the smoke in the area. Obviously, if you're sitting near someone or next to someone who's smoking, that can be a little bit bothersome. But when we were in there and, and when we were hanging out, none of us smoked. We, I, it never bothered me and never was an issue to me. And just a, a great design of a casino. Certainly can't wait to go back to that one. And let's talk about getting off of this thing. So you dock in Miami. It's time to debark Icon of the Seas. As far as like the organization process, some ships have, hey, come get your tags or pick a tag. We'll deliver it to your stateroom. How does Royal do it? Yeah, so Royal sends you, they've got a, a, you know, a piece of paper in your stateroom a couple nights before you have to exit and gives you the option. They sort of assign you different times. If you'd like to leave your bags out the night before, you can tag them. They'll take them off the ship and you can grab them 
And then they've got kind of staggered departure times starting around 7.15 in the morning if you want to walk off all the way up to, I think, close to 9 a.m. If you set your bags out and you just want to enjoy kind of a casual morning. We were, we woke up a little late because we didn't have to fly out until closer to noon. I had, you know, we had left our bags out the night before by, I think it was by eight o'clock. They had cleared the entire ship and sort of let anyone get off with any luggage tag or, or any boarding or, you know, did, you know, disembarkation group. So we walked right off. Literally, I think it took five minutes to walk, you know, scan your card off the ship, found our bags, walked right through customs. And we were uh, hopping in an Uber going back to Miami International Airport. So very, very seamless, really, really easy. You know, I think with 5,600 people trying to get off a ship and you've already got people lined up outside ready to get back on, I think a really, really good operation that they have there. I can imagine like turn day and just flipping all these staterooms in one day is how it has to be crazy. Do they make you um, or they ask rather for you to be out of your stateroom by a certain time? Yeah, I think they said by I think it was either 830 or nine o'clock they had asked for us to sort of, you know, exit our stateroom and either make our way to a dining venue or make our way, you know, off the ship. They certainly were ready to get people right back on that ship. I mean, we boarded just after, I think it was 1030. So I'm sure they they had people eager and ready to get back on that ship, you know, 1030, 1045. So mm-hmm. yeah, needing to be able to quickly turn over those rooms. Freaking amazing how they do that, right? It is. It, it is a machine. I mean, we woke yeah. up. You start, you know, you, you walk off the ship and you're walking by all these rooms and they've got, you know, half of them already done. They've got the all the bed, you know, changed over. It, it is it is amazing to see how efficient and, and just how professional those people are that that take care of your stateroom. Just just great, great people. Any tips you have for someone either sailing on Icon of the Seas or going over to Perfect Day? Yeah, I, I think the couple tips would be one, if you get on, I think like any ship, but especially Icon, when you get on that first day, it may seem a little bit crazy, especially if you're trying to go up to the Windjammer. Just remember there are a lot of other included food venues that are going to be open, like Sorrento's Pizza, Heart Cafe, Pearl Cafe. You can go to the Aquadome. El Loco Fresh is open. I will give a huge props to Royal Caribbean. Their elevator situation on this cruise ship is probably the best I've ever experienced. They have destination elevators where you simply go up to a touchpad and tell it the deck that you want to go to, and then it directs you to an elevator to get into. Like, never had to wait for an elevator, never had to to sort of stop at every single floor trying to get up to, to the deck that you're going into. It was never crowded in there. I mean, very, very efficient. I think the other thing, just if especially on Icon, because there's so much to do, there's so many things that you may want to book in advance from dining options to the uh, food venues. I did the Crown's Edge, which is the kind of zip line off the side of the ship. I had to book that in advance as well. You kind of have to stock the app and just look for things as they start to publish those available time slots to book. So join a join a Facebook group and you know there are going to be probably people who are stocking it even more than you that'll that'll kind of alert you to when things open up so you can book them and, and you don't miss them. Obviously if you don't book everything ahead of time, they did have space what you got on the ship, uh, but not everything may be available. So uh, yeah, I think those are my two probably the, the the biggest biggest tips. I would probably also add maybe check out Ordinary Adventures YouTube channel because it sounds like they shot a lot of stuff on there. Yeah, yeah, we yeah they they've I think released now at least two of their videos. They should have another probably three or four videos coming from 
the ship. They've got friends, other YouTube channels, Mouse Vibes and Random Recess, which have great content. We were all together on on the ship as well. So just a, a wealth of information out there for how to just make your 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 best cruise on on Icon of the Seas. Yeah, and we'll link to the Ordinary Adventures, the YouTube channel on the show notes on cruiseradio.net. And uh, looking back on this sailing, Chris, what was the biggest highlight for you on this seven night aboard Icon of the Seas? I, I think for me, I've never gone on a cruise with so many of my friends. And so getting to be on vacation for seven days with all of them was so much fun. But then the vibe and buzz about being on a brand new cruise ship on the inaugural of a ship just created even more excitement. And then as as someone who watched a lot of cruise content during the pandemic, getting to meet so many other very popular and well-known cruise channels from all over, you know, all over YouTube, getting to actually meet them in person and talk with them was a, a huge highlight of the cruise as well. Very cool. So your final thoughts of Icon of the Seas. Go on this ship, book it if you can afford it. You won't regret it. And you'll probably want to book right away after your sailing is done. Very cool. We've been talking with Chris about his seven-night cruise for the Eastern Caribbean aboard Icon of the Seas. He was sailing with Ordinary Adventures. Chris, my friend, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you. Thanks, Doug. Have a great day. Just back from a cruise? Let's talk about it. Email Doug at cruiseradio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.